So this is the topic for a projection of the South African government's social security obligations over the period 2017 till 2037. We were meant to have three speakers today. Unfortunately, uh, Natalie Fancel is ill, so she won't be able to join us. Um, I have, let me get the surnames right, William Melville and Diewald Muller. Uh, William works for PwC, Diewald works for Ernst & Young. This topic is something close to their hearts, they tell me. It's followed on from their honours projects that they did in the not-too-distant past. These are still relatively young gentlemen. Me, in my old age, I'm crazy enough to be doing a part-time master's currently. They are still young and brave enough to be doing it currently. So they're going to be speaking about the projections of the non-contributory social security benefits, the grant system that we have in place in this country. So a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking real money. Now this is a pretty well-known quote by the Republican Senator Everett Dirksen, but a lot of people don't actually know he never said that. He did say, a billion here, a billion there, as many Republican Senators and Democratic Senators do today. But he never said the part, pretty soon you're talking real money. When asked about this by a newsman, he said that when he heard it for the first time, he actually thought never to deny it because it sounded so good. Now, misattributed or not, this quote carries some weight for our discussion today. As a multi-trillion dollar budget, or a multi-trillion rand budget, is a reality for South Africa today. If you look at the consolidated government expenditure for South Africa for this financial year, you'll see a familiar face. One that aligns with the developing country. Three biggest or largest expense categories, learning and culture, social development and health, and then as well, important one is community development. Now, of our budget, around 61% is made up of social services. Now, social services includes learning and culture, social development, health, and community development. Now, we are here today to discuss the estimated 530 billion rand that would be spent on social grants over the next three years. As to Everett's quote, we are here today to discuss real money, and not just real money, but real lives. So good afternoon, everyone. I'm Devald Miller, as Stephen just introduced us. I'm currently an actuarial associate at EY and Santon. Um, with me today is William Melville. He's an actuarial associate at PwC in Cape Town. Both of us is currently completing our part-time master studies through Stellenbosch University. And unfortunately, our third member, Natalie Van Sale, she couldn't make it today. She's ill. Um, but she did send her regards to the audience and her best of luck to me and William. So the goal today is regarding our model that we built in 2016 to predict, predict the cost of social grants for South Africa over the long term. Now, the goal of our discussion today is basically touching on three parts. First of all, I want to give you a bit of a background for those of you that are not well aware of it, of the social grant structure in South Africa. But not only that, what does it entail and translates into for individuals that actually receive these grants? Secondly, William would take over the modeling part and discuss the model that we built. Basically, we want you and there'll be engagement throughout to, to see which factors actually influence the cost of social grants in our country and how policy decisions influence this cost. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the broader application of this model and broader social questions that this model can potentially answer, things like the basic income grant that's been on the lips of many people. But before I get into this, maybe a bit on the lighter side, um, I'm going to play a very short audio clip now. Um, some of you might not know it, and it will seem extremely out of context at this stage. Um, if I can just ask the gentleman to, to play the audio clip.
So on that, and it might seem really out of context, um, as this is a workshop, my first question to the audience, who is this artist that just sang it? Anyone? Oh, we got it. Uh, it's Phil Collins, and uh, I see people normally give bar ones at workshops, so there you go. I'll get back to this in a while, a bit later, a bit later in our conversation. So let's kick off with it. As actuaries and actuaries to be, we're really good at measuring the wood. That's the number crunching part of things, understanding data and trying to torture data until we get to actual answers. And if you look at social grants in South Africa, maybe the best way to look at this is a top-down approach. And we'll bring back that familiar picture that we just saw regarding our consolidated government expenditure. Now what we'll be focusing on today is the social development clause, which is the second largest expense category for our budget and forms around 15% of our consolidated government expenditure. If you go into that, you'll see that around about 80% of this expense category forms out social grants. Now for this financial, financial year, it's around, around about 163 billion rand. And in South Africa, the structure of social grants leads basically, you'll see the largest expense category is the old age grants, followed by the child support grant and then the disability grant. Now maybe two things to mention here which would la later lead into the model that William would discuss. First of all, grants in South Africa has been increasing year on year by the inflation rate. Simple. This year for the first time, it increases by inflation, the CPI index, as well as an allowance for the additional 1% increase in VAT from 14% to 15%. Secondly, in 2016 an investigation by National Treasury concluded that in order for these grant numbers to be sustainable in the future, our economy needs to grow by at least 3% per annum. Now given the current circumstances that we're in, maybe this is the first red flag of our discussion today. But this is now all good and well. But in the process of measuring the wood, we might be losing sight of the individual trees. Now that's the human element of this site. What does these numbers actually translate into for the recipients of these grants? Meryl Streep put it that one of the greatest gifts of humankind is our ability to show empathy. Or as another anonymous person put it, as one of the, one of the greatest uh, disarms that we do in our society is the fact our casual blindness to the despair of others. So let's take a step back before we go into the model and look at these lives that's behind these numbers. A familiar picture and one that shouldn't surprise you if, if you look at the household income distribution of South Africa. Now this is obtained from the AMPS database and if you spend some time with it, you'll realize that around about 40% of households in South Africa and less than 5,000 rand per annum. Now in South Africa on average there's three people per household. With this, it goes without saying that social grants is an essential part of our country. Basically forms the backbone of the struggle to survive for millions of South African households on a day-to-day -day and year-to-year -year basis. And not only that, what we've also recently seen with a hot topic on SASA and the debates on the delays of payments, social grants forms the backbone and foundation of social stability in our country. So those of you that haven't seen this before, here's a quick break breakdown of the social grants in our country. The state old age grant, which is the biggest one, this is what recipients actually receive, 1,600 rand to 700 rand. And then the child support grant, which is the lowest amount, is 400 rand. Now grants in South Africa are means tested, which means you need to have a certain income to be eligible for those grants. There's two categories. One is for individual earners, um, and the other one is for people in a family with two earners. Now our first question to you as the audience today and to start engaging in this topic is, based on these income thresholds and what you've seen till now, what percentage of households do you think would be eligible to receive grants if that was the only eligible, eligibility um, criteria? So I'll give you 
a minute, two minutes quickly just to think about it, maybe to discuss someone and then I'll, I'll get back to you. Can I get some, some estimations in the, in the audience? Anyone? Any percentage? We've got 70 and 60 percent. Sorry, it's like 80, 80 percent. 90. Do we have 100? 65. I probably should have expected this with a, with a room of actuaries. Between 60 and 70 percent, so very well done with those, those people in the audience. Now, this paints a pretty dim big picture of the reality for many of South African families. And uh, this basically touched on Barack Obama's comment at the Nelson Mandela centenary speech in Santon this year regarding basic income. He said, it's not just money that a job provides. It provides dignity and structure and a sense of place and a sense of purpose. So we're going to have to consider new ways of thinking about these problems like a universal income. So we're almost on the modeling side. But let's do a bit of a reality check. So what I'm going to do now is I want five groups. Um, I'm going to allocate an expense category to five groups. So if I can ask that um, the people on this side, you'll be one group. <laughs> um, then these two rows would be group two. So please just remember your, your, your names. Um, then group three at the back, those two lines. The last line is group four. And then we'll have group five. So I'll just go through that again. Um, group two, one, you are group, all one. It's group two, three, last line, four, and then group five. So group one is going to do housing. I want you to estimate what do you think a family of three people in South Africa would spend on housing, given that their budget, which is the reality for many South Africans, is 1,700 rand per month. So you're only doing that one expense category. So group one would do housing, group two, food, group three, transport, Group four, clothing, health and communication, and group five, recreation and entertainment. Um, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to tally up the expenses and we'll see what we, what we get to. Is there any questions? Sorry, I know the setup is not ideal, but maybe if you can discuss in some sense. And before you start with this, the way we want you to think about this is not just coming up with a number, but for instance on the food category, think about walking down an aisle in a supermarket. You've got a limited budget. What do you think a family of three people would spend on that specific expense category. So I'll give you four minutes now in your group to, to talk about it. So, so, um, so just a clarity here. The question is what they're actually spending or what they could be. Okay, so you're in the shoes of the person that's only got it getting 1,700 rand per month. So what they can spend given that, that amount. So I'll give you around about three minutes to, to chat about this. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask each group and somebody just from the group, maybe just quickly, just give their reasoning very quickly on what they said. And uh, William, can, William can discuss, just you'll tell it up. So group one for, for housing, how, how, much did you, how much did you get? Six, 600 grand, okay. Group one's got 600 grand, third of the budget, that was the, the reasoning, group, group two. For, uh, for food? 850. 850. Okay, for food, group two is uh, 850. Um, and, and just quick question, how did, you, how did you get to that? 50%. 50% of the budget, okay. Uh, group three, on uh, transport? 400 rand on, tr on transport, all right. Group four? 250. 
right, and then uh, group five. One fifty, and that's for recreation and entertainment. And then William, just add the two seventy six to the. Okay, so what we're going to compare this to is the urban pensioner CPI weights of 2012, and uh, this is what we're getting to. So on the housing front, well done, guys. That's not bad. So uh, if we add up your scores in total, we get to 2,500 rand, which is, I mean, it's pretty close, but it's still not the reality of these households what they face. So. Based on that, we just sell food is 334 rand. Um, the group estimated 850, and very rightly so. This is a recent promotion of Shoprite. Seven basic products on promotion wouldn't last a month. 415 rand. So at this stage, and we're going to head into the modeling side now. It's maybe time to to change Everett Dirksen's quote to rather 50 rand, 50 rand here, 1,700 rand there, to around 16 million billion uh, million beneficiaries. Soon you're talking real money and real lives. So we're going to the modeling side now and the model that we, that we actually built. And this is another question for the audience. Based on, based on the fact that the expected amount to be spent on grants um, this year is 160 billion rand, what do you think would be the amount by the year 2030? Quick assumption, back of the envelope calculation. Any estimations? So that's around about 12 years difference. So currently 160 billion rand. Any estimations? It's a, it's a very... Say again? 500. 500 billion. So based on the model that we predict, built and that William's going to discuss now, we got to amount by 2030 of 365 billion rand. So at this stage, this is still all numbers. Now the question becomes, what does this model actually entails? Is it accurate? And maybe before I hand over to William, just a quick sense check. Um, in 2016, we, we built the model and we predicted what we thought the cost of grants would be in 2018. And we got 155 billion rand. And the actual amount that has been spent in South Africa in 2018 is 153 billion. So there's a 2 billion difference, which is not bad. But with that, I also need to acknowledge that the net effect of certain assumptions and those variations definitely helped us a bit in, in our course. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask William now to discuss the model. And uh, basically from here on, you'll start seeing what affects actual social grants and what do, we, what do we see affect social grants and basically also getting some feedback from you in this process. William. Right. Good afternoon, everyone. So as Devil said, I'm going to be taking you through the different forecasting methodologies. So then what I'd like after we've done that is for you guys to have a bit of an opportunity to give a bit of feedback about what you would have considered, what you would added, what you don't like. Then we're going to quickly go through the results before we're going to look at the model, which hopefully some of you at least managed to download. And you can have a look at how the different assumptions impact the final number. So let's get straight into our main considerations for our model. So first, we had to assume that the type and the structure of the social grants would remain unchanged going forward. Um, we also assumed that the cost per grant per recipient um, in real terms would remain unchanged as we go forward in time. And finally, that the eligibility criteria in terms of age and income would also remain unchanged. We also excluded the war veterans grant and the social distress grants as they make up a very small proportion of the total cost. But now before I move on to the actual methods, here's a, one of our earlier slides again. Um, so who of you can recall the three largest grants from one of our earlier slides? Anyone? Is, where does that fall? Okay, very good. 
old age, where does that one? First one, and then at the, at the back. Excellent, okay, so you guys have been paying attention, very glad. So just one more point, that little other section of grants at the bottom, which makes up the foster child grant, the care dependency grants and so forth, that little section there makes is equivalent to ASASA's administration costs, or about 4% of the total. So just a bit of food for thought. Um, just for our forecasting methodology, we ignored the administration cost. So now we're going to move on to our, a little bit of an overview of our projection model. So the criteria that sort of drove our model was the eligibility criteria for the grant. There were essentially two of these, the first being income. This led to two different approaches, which we referred to as the proportional approach, the second one being the statistical approach, and our other eligibility criteria is age, which we referred to as the age eligibility approach. So just to recap again, we have a single main modeling requirement, which we had two different eligibility requirements, and then finally, that's led to three different modeling approaches. So now you people may be wondering at this stage why we never considered time series modeling. So we do have dated historical data, why not use time series modeling? The main reason for this was the look of horror it induced on the Stellenbosch Statistical University professors with the idea of using time series modeling. Basically, we only have 12 years data points as the monthly grant numbers is very inconsistent and poor quality data, so we couldn't use time series modeling. So now moving on to some of our assumptions. The first is our demographic assumption. So we required projected population numbers up until the end of our projection period, split by different age groups. Um, we first used ASSA 2008 model before updating it for the Tembisa model. We also required an inflation assumption for, as Devold said, the grants are expected to increase roughly in line with inflation. And then finally, we required a GDP growth rate as this was the driving factor in one of our models and we used it to compare the grant cost with. So both of those last economic assumptions we got from the Bureau of Economic Research from Stellenbosch. They also provided, provided a middle road, high road, and low road economic scenario. Um, basically, they did those in 2014, so we just had to update them to be relevant for 2018. So now let's move on to the next data requirement, which was the actual grant numbers. So we had three sources, the first being the National Treasury. Now unfortunately, this number did not correspond with our second source, that's South Africa, which finally did not correspond with our final source, SASA. So again, we had lots of data issues. We decided to use SASA since we had to use one of the data sets, and our reasoning for this was we just assumed it was closer to the source. But now that you've seen one of our data sources, namely the inconsistent grant data, what other issues do you th imagine we would have faced if you were projecting these numbers or when we projected these numbers? Does anyone have any data issues that you think might come across? Any? So I can give you one clue. It's not necessarily a data issue, but there has been changes in the age eligibility criteria over time. So initially, the old age pensions, you had to be over the age of 65 if you were male and 60 for female. This has subsequently been changed that now it's both over the age of 60. And then similarly for the child grant, you had to be under the age of 18 previously. I mean, under the age of 14 previously, but at the moment, it's under the age of 18. So any other data issues that you could think of in light of this? Anyone? Okay, so let's just move on to our final one, was the income data. So we had two sources, the general household survey and the all medias and product survey. The GHS is quite inconsistent over time, so this wasn't very stable data to use. So instead we used the AMPS data set, um, which was more stable, but unfortunately that data set ended in 2015. So now moving on to our first projection methodology. So we'd just like to thank the Social Security Committee of ASA, um, who in 2010 produced a forecasting method 
our first methodology is based on this, which we have adapted and updated for the present. So this is how this particular model works. We first take our number of grant recipients currently being paid out. We then divide it by the number of people who are expected to qualify for grants by age. So everyone under the age of 18 for the child support grant, for example. We worked this out in our base year, and then we took the average between the five years before that. We then take this proportion and then multiply it by the forecasted number of people expected to qualify for a particular grant by age. So in each future year, the number of people under the age of 18 for the child support grant. To get our grant cost in that year, we just multiply it by the grant amount, which we increase by inflation, and then we have our three different scenarios. We just, we just multiply by 12 to get our total grant cost for the year as they're 12 months in the year. So of course, this approach ignores that means test that Diewald mentioned earlier. So we wanted to allow for this in a simplified way, which led to our second approach, which we referred to as the proportional income eligibility approach. So in this one, we had to work out the number of households receiving grants. So why do we use households as opposed to people? It's because income data is generated on a household level, and if you consider the child support grant, it's the, the income of the parent as opposed to the child when qualifying for this particular grant. So to work this out, we worked out what proportion of households currently qualify for grants based on the inco their income alone. So we divided the number that would qualify by income by the total number of households, again working it out over the base year or the average between the three years before that, and then just multiply, oh, then the next step would be to multiply it by the forecasted number of households. So to get our forecasted number of households, we take our expected population from the Tembisa model, which we then just divide by the average household size. Again, just keeping that consistent with the previous assumptions. So now we have our number of households that we expect to get grants in each future year. We then need to take that and divide it by the average number of grants per eligible household. So for example, a household qualifying for a child support grant may have more than one child on average, whereas a household qualifying for a disability grant is expected to have less than one person on average. So to get this average, we just simply take the number of recipients currently being paid out and then divide it by the number of households expected to qualify by income. We then just again multiply this by the grant amount, increase by inflation, and our cost. So this approach still doesn't really take into account changing income over time. So we've allowed for the means test, but it hasn't really allowed for changing income. So this is why it led to our final approach. So it's conceptually quite similar to the previous one. We've again used a constant number of grants per eligible household. We've assumed that household sizes remain constant. But where it does differ is how we work out that proportion of households in each future year to receive grants. Instead of using this fixed proportion from the previous methodology, we use a statistical distribution. So the statistical distribution we fitted was the log normal distribution. This is commonly applied to income distributions. We then worked out our relevant parameters, which are mu and sigma in this particular case. We then worked this out for each of our historical years. Uh, which was 2004 to 2015. We then needed future income distributions, which we then forecasted based on those parameters. So we just used simple linear regression due to the limited historical number of years available. Um, we assumed that mean income would be linked to nominal GDP, which we already had forecasts of from the Bureau of Economic Research. We assumed that the sigma, which essentially represents inequality in the stage, would remain constant going forward. And that then just g gave us our future mu and sigma parameters. We could then apply the means test to those different distributions, which we assumed increased with inflation, so that we could get a proportion of households expected to receive grants. The next step was then just to take those number of households and again times it by the average number of grants per eligible household, 
increased by cost um, and multiplied by 12 just to get our total cost. So just to recap on our three methods before I hand it over to you to think about what we missed, what you liked about the approaches, what you didn't like. Um, the first approach was our age eligibility one. That's where we assume that a constant proportion of people that qualify by age will receive grants in the future. So if 80% of people under the age of 18 today get grants, then we expect 80% of people under the age of 18 in each future year to get grants. The second one was our income eligibility approach or proportional income eligibility. In this one, we worked out the number of households currently qualifying by income, and we assumed that would carry on going forward. And then our final approach was just to assume that instead of taking a constant proportion, we used that log normal distribution to get our number of households. So on that note, maybe if you guys want to get into the same groups again, discuss a bit what you liked, what you didn't, and maybe give us a bit of feedback after about three or five minutes or so. Okay, so I've got one comment so far, and it's a very good point. So um, the gentleman at the back there, his point was, or in the middle there, um, that if the national minimum wage gets implemented, then technically a lot of people are going to suddenly qualify for the child support grant, because we didn't show it earlier, but the means test for that is quite a lot lower than the grant for old age person, and that would obviously affect our modeling, because we then have a lot more people which wouldn't be captured, at least in our age eligibility approach. It might be captured in some of the income test approach, but we'd have to test that first. So did anyone else have any comments, questions, um, points? No one else in the group that wants to make a point? Can come see us afterwards as well if you're still interested, if you want to give more points. Um, so this is the last time we're going to leave it open. No points. Okay, cool. So we're going to just move on to the results. So my idea here is to go through it fairly quickly so that I can hand it over to you to play around a bit with the model. So the idea behind them of giving you guys the model is for you to to play around a bit with the assumptions. So change them around. You'll see there's also a universal basic income feature. So you can see what cost this adds. You'll be able to change some of the other assumptions. So please do play around and have a look and let us know. So let's move on to our first one. So our base case is just the graph you saw earlier, just extended till 2037. So our base model, or the one that we preferred, was the age eligibility approach. The main reason for this was that it captured the demographic effects of change of population aging and declining fertility rates quite well, which affects the grant numbers. Um, we projected that in 2037, there'd be 575 billion rand spent on grants per year. So just to have a look at the other two methods, what numbers they produced. So the second one there is the proportional income eligibility. So this was just using that simple means test approach. Um, it produced a smaller number than our age eligibility approach. This is mostly because of that population aging I mentioned earlier. As you'll see a bit later, the grants for old age or old age grant um, really drives up the cost of the grant due to that population aging. And then finally, our last one, that statistical income eligibility model, it produced by far the lowest numbers. And the main reason for this is that in our future income distributions, we were sort of assuming that um, GDP growth in the long term would be 3%. This is based on the Bureau of Economic Research's actual forecasts, which meant that over time, since our means test was only increasing by inflation, fewer and fewer households would qualify for the grant, which would maybe capture that whole um, minimum wage kicking in as well. So now just to put some context to the numbers, you'll see there's the cost of the social grants as a proportion of the projected GDP. And again, I just have to caveat, the reason for the decline is because we're assuming long-term growth is about 3%, roughly in line with 
the Bureau, the Bureau of Economic Research forecast. But you'll see when you go into the model that you can actually put in the low road economic scenario in the situation where we're assuming much lower growth. And you'll see that the cost of grant actually increases as a percentage of GDP. So just finally, here's a breakdown of the three largest grants that we showed earlier. As you can see, the driving factor behind the cost of the grants is that grant for old age person. Again, just highlighting that population aging, as is expected in the Tembisa model, um, is really going to push up the cost of that grant. The other two major grants stays fairly constant, and in fact, they decrease as a proportion of GDP going forward. And this is mostly driven by the fact that we have declining fertility rates, and we're also expecting a shrinking working force going forward. But now it's time for those that have their laptops and do have the model out to go for it, to change some of the assumptions. Um, unfortunately, I would have liked to show you the model up top here, but due to technical difficulties, I can't do that. So I'm just going to sort of explain it um, once you guys had a chance to open it. There's just a small typo there. That C before 2018 shouldn't be there. So please ignore the C when you're unlocking the password. I mean, unlocking the model. So once everyone, just by show of hands, that you've got the model open, those that actually have it. So with a show of hands, who actually has the model maybe as a starting point? Okay, so we have a few. So just if everyone can just sort of group around someone that has a laptop once they've opened it. So has everyone got it open? So basically, you'll see when you open it, the first set there of parameters is basically you can add an increase above inflation. Um, you can also change the different economic scenarios in your model. You'll also see that there's some of the other different um, parameters in our models there. There are some comments on the side, which if you go scroll down, you'll see them at the bottom. That just explains them. And then on the other side of the page, you'll see there's the different grants um, methods results. Just have a look there. And as you change it, you'll see how those numbers change. So the idea is for you to look at something that surprises you. So change some of the numbers, see what's, well, yeah, what gives you what you wouldn't expect. And then also, there's a universal basic income feature. So there you can switch that on and then see what the impact of that cost is when you put it on. Okay. So sorry for those that didn't get the model. Um, but the idea about this is, is basically you have the model now and to see what different effects, different changes in economic assumptions, demographic assumptions, which is most likely to see in the future, would have on the estimated costs on, on government grants. We, we had a few interesting comments. Um, there's been an NHI model that's been built in the country. Um, and it would be best definitely to go and check how can we align these two models. And, and, and I think it'll, it'll be definitely be good when we, when we approach government on that side to make things more consistent with one another. One of the things that's been on the lips of many people um, is the basic income grant. And you'll see if you use that model, you would have seen now, if we have 100 Rand per month basic income grant in South Africa, um, in, 20, in this year, 2018, that will amount to around about 37 billion Rand. Um, by 2037, that would uh, be around about 119, 119 billion Rand. And that's with the assumption that there would be a 95% take-up rate in our country. You would assume your older the people that earns more income would most likely not go through that process to get access to the 100 Rand. If 100 Rand is not enough and we increase it to 1,000 Rand and we assume those economic conditions in South Africa in terms of the middle road remains constant, um, the 1,000 Rand would make up more or less 5% of our GDP by 2037. So given all these things, there's so many spending priorities in our countries. Um, we spoke, spoke about the NHI, 
there's housing, and then free tertiary education. Currently, it's estimated that free tertiary education, the explicit costs, would amount around about to 12 billion rand this year. If we go one back, um, you'll see that 100 rand per month income grant for our country for this year would amount to more or less 37 billion rand. So there's a few things to consider and see how policy decisions can affect our budget in the long term. Problem is, we can only stretch our budget so far. That being said now, um, and concluding on, in our discussion today, uh, maybe a few things. The, the whole idea about today is for you to get a, better, a bit of a better background on social grants in, our, grants in our country, understanding not just the number part, but also the people part. Um, we've seen as actuaries, we often go to the numbers, but we don't actually see how that reflects in the actual lives of people. Um, and it's definitely something important to consider. What we found with this whole process is that uh, the actual control cycle is, is quite valid <laughs> in this whole process. Um, now that being said, you also saw how different economic policies and decisions could affect the cost of grants. Um, please use the model to check that. Um, and I'll head over now to the start that we had in the beginning, the audio clip of uh, Mr. Fo Mr. Phil Collins. So when we started with this journey, we thought we had it pretty much figured out. But like the actual control cycle, we, we pretty much realized we really have to take into account all stakeholders involved. It's only then we can really start engaging with a topic like this. Um, we've seen social grants in South Africa and the uproar recently regarding the delays of payments of SASA and the most crucial part, it forms part of our, of, our, of our country. So on that point, there was a bit more than that meet the eye with us initially and which you thought throughout the journey. And the audio clip that I, that I played to you, there's also a bit more that, that met the ear at least in that stage. So the audio clip was from this video that was played. Don't let ever a drum roll mislead you. In that space, we also found there was a few things that misled us initially when we started with this uh, modeling project that we had to take into account before we actually formed the whole picture of what we saw. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much um, for attending and for all the advice you gave. If there's any questions or advice that you have afterwards, uh, please come and speak to us and have a great day further. Thank you. Thanks very much. We have nine minutes before the masses come charging in here. So we have had a very interactive um, session now already with the two gentlemen. Is there anyone who does have a specific question now? Yes. I'm, okay, roving mic. Thank you. Um, I just want to say, first of all, this was really fun. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. So a very nice uh, concept uh, to have these, these workshops and we'll definitely look to participate in some of them in the future. The one thing I think we must just also think about is how um, the road accident benefit scheme will um, fit into this, given that it covers part of um, the new medical expenditure for road accident fund victims and the linkage of that into the potential number of um, households or individuals that will actually qualify for some of these grants is maybe something that also needs to be considered. Cool, thanks. Thank you. Um, no, yeah, so it is uh, maybe one, one other thing to mention here as well, and that's a very good point, especially with the given changes that we will see with the road accident fund pretty soon. Um, 
on the political side of these things, some commentary that we've received is we made the assumption that the grants would only increase by, by inflation every year, but some commentary that we've received on the political side, if our economic growth GDP actually reached the 3% level, you can expect on the political side that people would most likely increase the grants by a higher level as on the political side, political capital, that, that would definitely make sense. Um, the model does allow for that, and that is something you can definitely check out. But at this stage, our GDP growth is definitely not at that level yet where we can, we can afford, afford that. Okay, thanks. Any other questions in our last few minutes? Nobody. Um, the question I wanted to ask was, what next? Where do you see n that you're going to be going to next with this model? How are you going to be using this model to guide decision makers in the country? So we, we speak about the politicians and the decision makers out there. How will you, will you be liaising with them or trying to interact with them? That's a, that's a great question. We had, uh, we had this discussion at the front here, but earlier where, where, lady, where, where the question was basically asked, how do you engage government with these issues? Um, I think on, on ASA's side, there's so much value that we can actually offer offer the government with these issues. But the process of getting to a point where you can actually work together with government apparently is a very long and tiring process. Um, what I've heard from, from some of the, the tenants here is on the medical side, it took up to 20 years before I think the relationship between the committees from ASA and government is such a level where um, people are working together in such a state that we can actually... We can Okay, sorry, she said um, not working together, just, just listening after 20 years. <laughs> it's a start. And, and my question on that is what, what is the best approach to, to, to go to government on this? Um, there's the long road, but, but one of the comments that came from that is you need to know the right people. Um, and from what I'm hearing around uh, at this stage where we're seeing the political sc scope going in the country, more and more people are open to these type of suggestions. Um, but I think as a, as a community in ASA, we really need to start leaning on one another in terms of getting access to those people that can actually make things, make things happen. Um, at this stage, what, what our next step would be is um, we're taking this further and start investigating more on the other side. How can we still improve this model? We had some good suggestions. Um, but I think it's definitely important that we start integrating it with, with other models out there and then start approaching government on a side that we can actually take this further one step in decision making. Okay, so no final questions? Going, going, gone. All right, so let me say thank you very much to the two gentlemen and also to Natalie in her absence. Hope she gets well soon. Um, thanks very much, everybody. It's been an interesting challenge with this venue. Um, we are now going to be going on to a break, I believe, and I'm supposed to be encouraging you still to participate on social media and say lots of nice things about this convention. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy what's left of it.